It's Thursday, April 21st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today for Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker, and the Chief Product Officer here at the Motley Fool, Tim Hansen. Gentlemen, welcome to episode 1000. Really? Yes. I don't know if you heard. That's awesome. America's been talking. How do you feel? Uh, Do you feel fulfilled? I feel feel old, is how I feel. Uh, We've got earnings. Can we call it episode 1K? 1K? We could do that. Do you think the next thousand are going to be better? Uh, One can only hope. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We've set the bar pretty low. I mean, just just to pull the curtain back a little bit. today with, with. uh, earlier this attendees. earlier this morning, I'm dropping my son off at his elementary school. God, he, you sound like a good dad. I I have my moments, and um, coming down the sidewalk, Tim Hansen has just dropped off his son. Also sounds like a good dad at the same elementary school. And I rolled down the window and I said to Tim, I was like, "Hey, you you're good for today to do the podcast?" And uh, Tim said, "What are we going to talk about?" And I was like, "I I don't know." And your response was, "Yeah, yeah. Why, why, why change what's worked? Why change what's worked? <laughs> you know, in terms of how how we put this uh, podcast together every day. It's like, well, that's yeah. It's worked for the first thousand. Let's see if it works for the next thousand. Um, we'll talk housing. We'll talk gaming. We'll talk toys. But let's start with Under Armour. First quarter profit and revenue coming in higher than expected. So it turns out, Tim, Steph Curry, not just the best basketball player." In the NBA, apparently he's selling some shoes as well because basketball shoes were certainly part of this quarter for Under Armour. Yeah, I mean it's a pretty incredible story. I mean, if you go back a few years with with regards to Under Armour, you know the shoe division was largely underperforming. People didn't think the shoes were made very well. They were struggling to get into running shoes, so on and so forth. You know, they have improved their shoe technology somewhat, but I mean the catalyst of having a highly successful. Brand ambassador and Steph Curry. I mean, it just goes to show that not all marketing dollars are are, are poorly spent. Um, there was an interesting article recently about how they were able to sort of didn't even need to woo Steph Curry away from Nike because Nike didn't right. really even want him um, because he didn't look like the prototypical spokesperson. Um, but you know, the article sort of hypothesized that that's his charm. Like you know, I, I may not be able to consistently hit three pointers from uh, midcourt as Curry can do, but he doesn't. He's not that different, you know, in terms of height. Speed, so on and so forth. So, pretty incredible story for Under Armour. Um, still only a twenty billion dollar company relative to Nike's one hundred billion dollar market cap. So, you know things are going in the in the right direction, and you just see that that logo popping up on more and more athletes um, in in more and more sports. You mentioned the marketing spend, and obviously with Nike and Under Armour, Adidas as well. There's marketing dollars, endorsement dollars that they pay to athletes, but there's also the the advertising. That they do along with that, I'm just assuming, and I don't know to the extent that this was addressed by Under Armour in the report, but I'm just assuming that Under Armour, along with Nike, Adidas, and everyone else, they're going to be spending more this year because of the Olympics. Yeah, usually you do see sales bumps associated with the Olympics, the World Cup, and there's yeah, there's definitely increased marketing spend, but they get a big big lift usually from 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 those events. You know, there's a lot of technical apparel, specialized logo stuff that goes out. You know, the World Cup is probably one of the biggest global events for both Nike and uh, Adidas, and I would I would suspect that we'll see Under Armour soon sponsoring a um, national team. I mean, they're certainly in the Premier League now, and, and and places like that. Didn't they have the swimwear? Uh, the, weren't they sponsoring the 
yeah, swimming team that, that didn't quite problems, was actually right? adding. I think, <clears throat> if I recall, their swimsuits, the swim team opted to use different kits because um, they were swimming more slowly in the Under Armour kit. So, you know, but that goes to show that from a technical specification level, historically, Under Armour has not been as proficient as Nike, for example. Um, and that was certainly the case in the shoe business not very long ago. I haven't done a, a trial and error of the two basketball shoes now, but, I, you know, if if they if they're anything, they're probably very similar, right, in sort of look and feel. And yet you're getting huge sales lists just out of the fact about who's endorsing it and who's wearing it on the court. Well, and that's that's where swimming becomes a completely different beast, because you mentioned the look and feel, and I think that that's certainly part of the equation for some of these athletes. Just, well, I like the feel of this shirt. I like how this shoe feels on my foot. Um, but that's probably where it stops. Whereas with swimming, you get in the water and it's, I'm five one hundredths of a second slower in this suit than I am in that suit. And then, therefore, we got to change. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that so the, the shoes were a big part. They I think shoes were up 64% year over year. So that's tremendous. But apparel was up 20%. International was up 56%. Direct to consumer was up thirty three percent. They're just doing everything right these days, and those are the kinds of numbers that they've been putting up for a while. And it's very impressive that they keep putting them up. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what they're targeting in the Olympics. It's not just Curry, of course. Spieth, a uh, little meltdown at the Masters, but I think everybody's still a fan and. Uh, and of course, Andy Murray is driving a lot of revenue. Which sure, is, uh, sure. Do they break out the tennis revenue separately in in the in the report? Not to my knowledge, <laughs> because they, you know, they don't want to give He's their the competitors. Material. They don't want to give any uh, anything right, away. Right. I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, that's just why would you? Why I mean, would you? Why would you attract attention <laughs> by bragging about that? I mean, that is that is the hidden gem for for Under Armour that nobody really talks about: the tennis revenue, the exploding tennis revenue. Well, let's sure. move. Let's move on to housing. Small base, though. Small base, but it's, <laughs> it's, it is exploding. Um, uh, some housing-related earnings. Home builder Dr. Horton. Second quarter profit came in higher than expected. They raised guidance. Sherwin-Williams, uh, same thing for the first quarter. Uh, profit higher than expected. They raised guidance. The difference in the stocks, however, is DR Horton up a little bit today. Sherwin-Williams down. You looked at this, Bill. I mean, is, is Sherwin-Williams dropping simply a function of the valuation of the stock? Because by all measures, this looked like a good quarter, and, and raising guidance tends to help Lift the average stock. Uh, it does, and and apparently the market believes that was already priced in because it was a good quarter uh, all the way around. I I think that uh, the acquisition of Valspar uh, for nine billion dollars is is something that's going to help Sherwin Williams get even bigger and get into lows uh, a bit more than it has been. So I I think when the housing market is going well. Sherwin Williams is going to do well. That's the story we can see from uh, DH uh, Horton uh, that that's going on there. There are plenty of other numbers to support the health of the housing market at the moment. It's not exploding, which is good. We've seen what happens when housing markets explode in this country. But uh, is that I, a good good explosion or bad explosion? Uh, that's that, it's good for a little while, <laughs> <laughs> and then it's not so good. Then you get the the implosion. Uh, earnings up 12% for the quarter is good, and it's kind of the pace that they've been on. 
I want to go back to the Valspar acquisition. When are we going to know how well that has worked out for Sherwin Williams? Because that was very much the the narrative at the time that this is Sherwin Williams' entry into Lowe's major home improvement company, and it seems like. Well, okay. Uh, on the face of it, that seems like a good thing. But I'm just wondering, at, w- at what point are we able to quantify, like, oh yeah, this this has really worked out, or eh, no, th- th- this is okay, but nine billion may have been too much to pay. I don't know. It depends. Uh, it, it's a fairly stable business, Valspar. There, there's not a lot hidden there. Whether they can start pointing to synergies or cost cuts that they can achieve by the combination, they'll reveal those uh, when they can. But I don't think you're going to see a, a huge surprising sales number. It's more, are they going to be able to get efficiencies out of that that weren't that that are greater than what they're already leading us to believe? You know, ultimately, it's been a nice few years to be working in the housing space, and and you know, it's been double-digit growth in in new home uh, permitting for uh, three three or four years now, um, and it looks like um, the numbers imply another year of double-digit growth this year to catch up with household formation um, through the first two months of the year. I think it was it was plus eight or nine percent, so that's a pretty healthy um, organic tailwind to be riding. Uh, you know, obviously. Um, you know, for for Sherwin Williams, for example, um, getting into those retail big box um, home home goods stores is 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 good. Um, the the interesting dynamic to watch is historically uh, consumer preference for Lowe's v Home Depot has fluctuated. So you know, as Home Depot, as Bob Nardelli took out customer service, market share <laughs> moved over to Lowe's. You know, you know, recently Lowe's had some issues, and Home Depot came back with more service, better lighting. You know, they attribute it to all sorts of different factors. And then over the last few years, preference had sort of shifted back to Home Depot. So that's sort of the uncontrollable factor is, you know, you're in in Lowe's, but how is traffic going into those stores? That might that's sort of an exogenous factor that will probably dictate whether or not nine billion was too much to pay. But generally speaking, I think this year, next year, still, um, as Bill alluded to. You know the housing market has been sort of growing at a healthy clip, not an overheated clip, but a healthy clip, and that's been a nice place, um, a nice place to be, both for investors and for businesses. If you want a third data point from earnings today, Tractor Supply, which is a rural lifestyle uh, outlet, and uh, that had another great quarter of earnings. Uh, so things it, it correlates more with Home Depot and Lowe's. Not there's some com- competition there. Uh, not quite as focused purely on housing, but uh, it's it's always affected by the health of the housing and in sort of slightly different demographic. But it's you've, you've got a number of different things pointing to good news from from different vectors today. Bill does run the tractor supply hype machine, by the way. I think he's tractor supply. I tell you what, you can take fan. a victory lap. Yeah, every no, day not for and not for, not for, for no good supply. reason either. I've, I've pimped it here. You absolutely <laughs> have to the audience. <laughs> absolutely. Anybody who hype machine, such a nicer word than pimp, but <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Let, <laughs> I, I think that's yeah. You know, maybe we run a Twitter poll on that. What's uh, hype machine v pimp? Yeah, exactly. Um, lest anyone think that it's good news across the board for all businesses and all industries, shares of Las Vegas Sands down around ten percent today. After first quarter profits and revenue came in much lower than expected, Tim, they had weaker results in Las Vegas, as well as Macau. 
that's kind of everywhere for them. Yeah, Macau has been it's been a tough run for Macau over the past uh, year and a half, two years in terms of dropping gaming revenues. People point to all kinds of reasons for that: corruption, crackdowns in China, tougher visa requirements coming out of China, um, um, just slowdown in China generally, reducing income. You know, Las Vegas Sands in China is particularly exposed to the mass segment as opposed to sort of the premium segment or the premium mass segments, and the mass segment has been um, among the weakest. Uh, they sort they, you know, what's interesting about this quarter is that they actually it looks like they actually gained a little bit of market share, even though the overall uh, size of the market declined during the first quarter according to the total gaming data. Um, but what they don't have coming online that a company like Wynn does have coming online is a massive new resort. And while you know it's not necessarily a great time to be opening a massive new resort, one would expect that the Wynn Palace, which is on Koh Tai um, near the Venetian. Um, is going to be a big gangbusters event, and I think investors are looking at not only the weak market, but at the prospect for Las Vegas Sands to lose quite a bit of market share uh, in Macau, specifically on the Kotai, um, after the Wind Palace opens, and, and, and that I think explains some of the drop drop today. You know, and, and frankly, um, if you're looking at the space, uh, you know, Wind historically has just proved to be a much better operator, I think, than than really anybody in the space. But you know, but Sand. So, you know, you would expect that the increased market share for Win with the profit margins they get. I think that's if, if you're sort of looking around to take a contrarian bet in Macau these days, Win would be um, the name that I would prefer. Well, and th- and that's the. I mean, obviously, operations matter. Operational excellence matters in any industry, but particularly in a situation like Macau, where... In the hospitality space? Well, (laughs) well, particularly in the hospitality space, but what I was going to say is, particularly in a situation where there are factors that these businesses cannot control, and so what they can control becomes all the more important. The fact that the Chinese government is cracking down on corruption, cracking down on these junkets and that sort of thing. That affects all of them the same. Mm-hmm. But if Wynn is able to be a much better operator than Sands, well, then th- therein lies the advantage. Yeah, you know, as the market shrinks, you want to be the the person in the market where, when consumers have the opportunity to express preference, they express the preference for you. You know, the thing about the junket business, which you mentioned, is that if you're part of a junket, the junket really dictates what hotel you go to, or what casino you go to. Um, if the junket has a deal with Sands, they take you to the Venetian. If they have a deal with Melco, they take you to City of Dreams. If you have a deal with Win, they take you to, you know, the um, the Wind Resort there, where there are fewer junkets, that means there's a greater opportunity for individual consumers to express their own preference. And when that happens, it's nice to be the people who have the the best experience to offer. By the way, shouldn't every casino be named City of Dreams? Like at its core, <laughs> isn't that what a casino is? When you walk in the door, City of Dreams is a bizarre place. I mean, You've Macau. Been there. Yeah, I have been there. Macau writ large is a bizarre place, and City of Dreams sort of is like the most bizarre. It's not quite as bizarre as like the old Lisboa, where the basement is just a seedy mess of <laughs> sin. Um, but uh, the the city of dreams is bizarre. Like you you enter, and I mean, so th- this struck me as by I, the way, that's that's what they <clears throat> like. There's what they want you to think, <laughs> and there's what they really are. What they want you to think is this is the city of dreams, and really it's seedy basement of sin. <laughs> so well, this that, that's the Lisboa city of dreams. The city of dreams. You know, we were out there on an investor tour some time ago, and and, and the pitch was like mass market, family friendly. We've got the Hard Rock, so on this sort of thing, right? You walk in, the first thing you see is a giant video board of topless mermaids. And I, I turn to the guy, I'm like, family friendly? Really? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ah! Friendlier than mermaids. 
<laughs> it says Disney all over it. Yeah. This was a Disney casino, right? It was a partnership with JP, you know? Uh, so it wasn't all bad news. For, for I'm, I'm looking over the, the numbers that buy a casino and uh, for... Uh, for the company Las Vegas Sands, uh, so they Singapore was down twenty three percent, and uh, the Four Seasons Macau was down eight percent. The Sands Macau was down twenty two percent. The Venetian was down four percent. I'm sorry, Kotai the... was down seven percent. I'm getting to it. Okay, where's the good news? Vegas pretty pretty much uh, flat, but did increase two point three percent. But the bright spot, the Sands Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Here we go. Was up eight uh, percent. So game changer. I take. I'm sorry. If there's a city of dreams out there said? in, you know, central Pennsylvania, it's got to be Bethlehem, PA. <laughs> Topless mermaids. Not so. That is going to the Keystone. State. That is going to make up for all, all this uh, 22% drop in in Macau <laughs> and in Singapore and everywhere else. Apparently, wow. sounds like they just need to spin that off into like a tracking stock. The Bethlehem. The Bethlehem. <laughs> <laughs> We talked recently on this show about Hasbro's quarterly results, and as good as they were, uh, apparently that's how bad Mattel's first quarter was. Uh, profits were down, and this is a business that, for a long time, it was. It, they've got their different divisions, Bill, and as Barbie goes, so goes Mattel, or rather. If Barbie isn't going well, they need all the other divisions to do really well. And this looks like a quarter where everything across the board was not working. Right. And the press is focusing on Barbie, which is understandable. It's the iconic thing over there. Uh, Hot Wheels, maybe number two. Uh, but I, I guess, you know, you're, you're a father. Was there ever Barbie in your house? Sure. Yeah. Pretty pretty strong? or Pretty strong, but not not... Recently, and that's when I when I look at my daughter's in high school. (laughs) (laughs) One would hope. Well, one in high school, one in middle school. Yeah, but but I mean that's the thing. We we chatted about this briefly before we started taping. That you you look at the lineup of toys from Mattel, and they really skew young. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess. So, uh, any any Barbie in your house? Uh, There's one. There's an Elsa Barbie. Yeah, but not. You know, I would say back when Mattel had the Frozen contract. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, that, and that's a, probably a bigger problem uh, for this quarter, being out of out of that business, because Barbie is big and reasonably stable, but not. It does not have a future which is brighter than its past, and that is probably the case for a number of the other uh, brands that they've got over there, and uh, not having Disney, which does, I think, have somehow even a brighter future than its past it seems to every everything that disney's done lately just is better than the last thing and i i'm sure mattel is regretting not being part of that journey at the moment i thought good dinosaur was kind of a miss but you see zootopia yes that was enjoyable i still haven't seen that good dinosaur uh i mean that's that's the nice thing about disney is that even things that were sort of quote-unquote sort of a miss are, yeah. still, are still are still Well, and they got Finding Nemo two coming out. So yeah, that's just that's a juggernaut ready to well, go. Well, Jungle Book seems to be Star Wars. killing it, and then you got another Star Wars every Star year Wars for the thing. next, yeah, next couple Star of years. And Incredibles two is on the yeah. way. Uh, oh, goodness. A couple of housekeeping notes before we get to some email. Uh, happy to say that uh, all of the Motley Fool podcasts are on some new platforms. One is Spotify, uh, Spotify Mobile. 
that is. And uh, Google Play, Google uh, finally unveiled their updated uh, app, and so adding podcasts to their music app. So you can find us on Google Play, you can find us on Spotify. And starting Friday, Tim Hansen, you can find us on the Motley Fool's brand new mobile app. You know, we can actually give people, if they're listening, a little bit of a sneak peek. You can actually find the mobile app today if you want to in the iTunes store. Um, We're just not broadly announcing it until Friday. But if you want to be an early adopter, go right ahead. Go to the App Store. Should be, you know, we've gotten some good early reviews already. Um, If you're a Motley Fool member, all your premium content will be there, it's filterable. Um, you get push notifications when, when buy alerts come out. Um, the podcasts are in there, the videos from the premium services, feature articles from fool.com. It's going to be some exclusive Morgan Housel content in the app. Uh, so we're pretty excited about um, bringing that out, and, and hopefully people find it a, a great, engaging way um, to get your Fool news on the go. And if you're not a member of any of our services... You can still get the app. It's got the podcast. It's going to have all the Fool.com featured articles, some of the Morgan Housel stuff, too. So, I mean, there's a good experience whether you're a member, a paying member, or just a freeloader, but um, we love you. We love you either <laughs> way. Is that the company How term? Dare you. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> um, uh, I, I got to say a couple of thank yous before we get to the email. Um... Uh, I went back and looked this up because that's how old I am. I had to go back and look it up. It was January 5th, 2011, our first episode of Market Foolery, and this is episode 1,000. And you don't, you don't do 1,000 episodes without a lot of help. So uh, thank you to Mark Reith, who takes over for me when I'm, when I'm not in this studio. Uh, likewise, on the production side, uh, Austin Morgan, Ann Henry, Rick Engdahl, and Heather Horton have helped out behind the glass over the years. But uh, for the past few years... Uh, Dan Boyd has just been uh, an absolute workhorse behind the glass. So thank you, Dan, for everything that you do day in and day out. Um, uh, and thank you to uh, to you guys, to the analysts, uh, all of them over the years. Uh, as I say from time to time, uh, it's not their job to be in the studio. They're not paid to be in the studio. So I really appreciate you guys coming in here and helping out and sharing your take. Uh, on on stocks and and you brought us donuts the other day, um, yeah. The, the, the listeners assume, often bring whiskey. I assumed that was what we were paid in, <laughs> right? Donuts and whiskey, right. but occasional coffee. Yeah, okay. I haven't gotten. I don't, don't know that I've gotten any whiskey from the. I got a. It usually uh, doesn't make it off the like fourth little, and fifth floors. Yeah, I could understand. Come by that. my desk later. <laughs> Is there a big stash <laughs> there? Big. I don't know, big. You've got that Cobra Saki right now, got right? Got the Cobra Saki, which wow, is that? Have you cracked into that yet? I haven't haven't cracked into that right. yet. There was the listener that sent some coffee. Yes, that's been consumed. Pringles. Speaking of pimping, flavored Pringles, Pringles. You, you, you could uh, go there with the the coffee provider. Uh, Tampa Bay Coffee Club. Exactly. There you go. We're still thankful. We're you know st- where we haven't gone yet to the. Um, Fred Toberfest. That needs to happen. I mentioned that the other day. Yeah, that Fred, needs to happen. Fred one of these Gattis, years. Uh, St. Louis, Missouri, uh, who sent a, a, a great note sharing some of his memories over the years, um, apologized for uh, not having Fred Toberfest last fall. Apparently, there were some home renovation issues he was dealing with, but sure. it will be back on for fall of 2016. Yeah, we got to. I think. I think one we, of these days. What are these? What are these? Reserve years? your space now. We have. To, we have to go to Fred Toberfest, and I think. Do a market foolery from Fred Toberfest? Oh, uh, yes. But I was going to say, what we do is we don't give Fred the <laughs> Dan up. hears me. Dan's giving me the thumbs <laughs> Dan, up. Dan's excited. Um, yeah, I think we just show up and we don't tell Fred we're coming. And we're just like, oh, hey, no, we're here. We're here. What are your favorite uh, off-location uh, sites for 
the podcast. Uh, we haven't done episode history. We haven't done that many. Although the when we were in Austin, Texas for South by Southwest, this was the first year South by Southwest at the Interactive. They had a podcast center um, with a stage, and and it was it was really great. And uh, they were they were super helpful. Uh, the folks at South by Southwest. And uh, Dan, they're interested in having us come back. So I. No, that thumbs up. This is a good day for Dan. We, 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 <laughs> we will talk about that in the coming weeks. Um, and last but not least, uh, thank you to everyone who listens. Uh, whether you just started listening or you've been listening for years, thank you for spreading the word about Market Foolery and for emailing us. Speaking of email, marketfoolery at fool.com is our email address. Uh, and uh, I, I don't have time to read all of the email. Uh, that we've gotten recently, where people were sharing uh, their memories of the past few years. But let, let me hit a few of them from Kevin Gasky in Germantown, Maryland. There was one episode, I can't remember who the guest was that day, but it began with a discussion of his cat, which Chris Hill did not know had died. It was a hilariously depressing way to begin the show. I believe that was your cat, Bill. It was, <laughs> and you're bringing it up again. You just can't stop, can you? From Brian Withers. I just had another cat die the other week. <laughs> See, I didn't bring that up. You had too many cats, to be fair. You've got backup. We're down to three. (laughs) But uh, what you're talking about, and I think you meant to be kind by bringing up the fact that you thought my cat was the best-named cat you'd ever heard of. Yes. Party cat. Party cat. Party cat. May party cat rest in peace. Uh, From Brian Withers, who shared several memories, uh, and I'll just uh, pick a couple. Uh, he had a date, June twenty third, twenty fifteen. Wow. Bill, Bill Barker complains about the Starbucks lids for what seems like forever. <laughs> and the following day, a listener sends in great tips for keeping your coffee from slipping out of its lid. Oh, uh, you can you can lid. use all the recommendations there are. That doesn't change the fact <laughs> that the lids themselves are terrible. And you've been, you know, promoting uh, going out strictly to Dunkin' Donuts, which does have far superior lids. As, as Brian I didn't said. think it possible, but in, in the years since I've left MFAM, you have become more curmudgeonly. <laughs> um, another, Only, yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, I mean, one does. He is a year older. It's yeah. true. It's true. Uh, another one from Brian. October 2nd, two, uh, 2015, Tim Hansen talks about Donald Trump, Morgan Housel holding his nose, and ways to stay dry on race day in a port john what, um, what was the Morgan uh, holding his nose? I don't remember that part. I don't know. We're going to have to go back and listen. We're going to have to ask Brian. (laughs) From Drew Vogel, uh, who writes, I've been listening to Market Foolery nearly every day since it started. For my money, nothing will ever beat the emergence of Angry Uncle Joe. I've always appreciated the variety of voices I hear both on Market Foolery and Motley Fool Money, but Joe Mager's analysis was always so direct and somehow simultaneously thorough and succinct. From Dustin Whitmer, and he puts this in quotations, and another thing about Walmart. The birth of angry Uncle Joe Mager. P.S. My wife Courtney and I are probably the only husband and wife t- listener team to both be mentioned on this podcast. Angry Uncle Joe is a little inside baseball, but probably we're, my favorite. We're going to get to that. Yeah, okay. Uh, uh, from Randy uh, Shrevrier in Stillwater, Oklahoma. I probably listened to most, if not all of them, since I've been a subscriber to one of more. One or more Motley Fool newsletters since well before the show premiered, and being an auditory learner, I suspect I started listening as soon as the show was announced. 
Good memories of market foolery include nicknaming Uncle Joe Mager, <laughs> debates over the best burger joint, and coming just short of forming a think tank on ways to incorporate bacon into any and all foods. But the constant highlight has to be traveling along with Chris Hill down the never-ending Bill Barker rabbit holes, waiting to hear I've successfully become one of the few listeners still with you for the latest wild ride. So thank you. There is one. <laughs> there is one. Um, before we wrap up, I think, and I have saved. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I, I assume, by the way, that <laughs> yeah. you have highlighted emails that have come in about the two of us, and there are many about uh, everybody else who, who appears. Um, that it, you're excluding, and and or have you read those to them while they've uh, been on I've this read, week? I've read. Clearly, you haven't been listening all week, but um, no. yeah, there there, <laughs> there have been others. There's been praise for a wide range of analysts. Um, but as I said at, at when I started, right before I started reading these, far too many emails. Incredibly nice emails. Are there any this week I should listen to? Um, you know, definitely this one. This yeah. one. You definitely want to listen to this one. Um, before we wrap up, uh, and I've saved it for this this episode. You mentioned Tim. It was inside baseball. Uh, for people who have just started listening in the last couple of years, um, they may not be aware that Joe Mager. Uh, who was one of our longtime analysts, left here several years ago, moved to Sydney, Australia, and is heading up our... Suburban uh, Sydney, Australia. Suburban. He, he couldn't afford Sydney. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, moved to, uh, to uh, suburban Sydney, Australia, and he's working with uh, Scott Phillips and Matt Joss, um, Danny Buchanan. Joss, I believe. Uh, what? Joss? Joss. I, I think it's Joss. Really? Yeah. Huh. I, he told me it rhymes with boss. But anyway, right. um, working at, at Motley Fool Australia. Um, but before then, he was a mainstay on Market Foolery. And I think we should just share um, how he got his nickname, Uncle Joe Maker. Do you, do you remember the Yeah, well, it was one of these one of these counterfactual hypothetical questions where it was like, hey, what's better, Amazon or Walmart? Amazon <laughs> or Walmart. So it was you, me, Joe Maker, and Bill Mann. And Bill Mann. And I believe uh, Joe let off. And unequivocally went for Walmart, which is in hindsight interesting because I believe Amazon is now one of his biggest personal holdings. So anyway, that's just an interesting side note. But this is 2011. This is old. This is old economy, Joe Mager. Now there's new economy, Australian Joe Mager. But this is old economy, Joe Mager. Unequivocally for Walmart. There's a pause. That comes around to me, I, and I, I know he was expecting. I know he was expecting both Bill and I to be like, oh, without a doubt, Walmart. You know because. Maybe we're a little bit more from the value orientation or so on and so forth. But I'm not sure if, Joe, if Bill and I had conspired against him or, or not. We'll let history, we'll just leave that in the shadows of history. Um, but Bill and I both went pretty strongly for Amazon, Bright Future, you know, everything store, so on and so forth. We had our data and then we moved on. We moved on to the next story. That was the first story we did that day. The next story, I don't remember the specifics, but I remember it was. Joe was very quiet. It was very quiet. It was, it was an international story, it was, it was China. Okay. And and the story went on. We talked for at least five minutes, and uh, just if you can picture a semicircular table, uh, I'm at one corner. Joe Mager is immediately to my right. Bill Mann is to his right, and Tim is at the, uh, the other side. And so Joe is sitting right next to me, and we're having this conversation about China. And Joe has his tablet in front of him, his head down. He is clearly very involved in whatever he is doing on his tablet. And after a good five minutes or so, um, Joe catches my catches my eye, just sort of puts his finger up like, basically, I want to get in on this conversation about China. And I go to him. 
I'm not sure how he reasoned. I just want to say one more thing about Walmart. Yeah. <laughs> and, he just, and, it was, and, and, and that was our reaction. We just burst out laughing. Like, wait, wait, wait. We've been talking about China for almost, at this point, almost seven minutes. Have you seen the EV Imita multiple? It's, I mean, you know, this is Walmart we're talking about. He was doing a data dive on Walmart. <laughs> And to to make his case that it's like we've already moved on. I thought you wanted to talk about China. It's like, and so we finish. We moved on to a third topic. We finish. I do my disclaimer at the end, and and everyone's quiet while I'm doing the disclaimer. And that's when Bill Mann turns to him and says, "And another thing about Walmart. God, you're like a cranky old uncle, angry Uncle Joe." Maybe. And that's how Uncle Joe was born. Thanks for being here, guys. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having us. Congratulations. Thank you. Here's to the next thousand, if we make it that long. As always, <laughs> people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.